Today on the Matt Walsh Show, as rioters continue to destroy Minneapolis over the death of Dante Wright, the full truth about Wright's death and his life is finally coming out. Wright was wanted by police after robbing a woman at gunpoint and choking her. Does that detail matter? I say it does, and I'll explain why. Plus, our five headlines, including the mayor of Brooklyn Center, um, suggesting that cops who do traffic stops shouldn't have guns. What could go wrong? And the AP declares that the term mistress is no longer acceptable because it stigmatizes floozies. My word, not theirs. Finally, in our daily cancellation, we'll talk about something called neo-pronouns. If you, th- if you thought the left couldn't make a bigger mess of pronouns, you were mistaken. We'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Now, a quick word from Legacy Box. You know, we all have, of course, memories that we cherish. And those of us who were, or especially those of us who were born maybe before our entire life moved to the internet, a lot of those memories are going to be stored on uh, on objects, perishable objects, maybe maybe things that are, are in an attic somewhere in a box collecting dust or down in a basement where they could sustain flood damage, whatever it is. Um, that is why you need Legacy Box. Legacy Box is an effortless way to have your aging tapes, films, and photos digitally preserved in a modern format so they're safe for generations. With Legacy Box, you can reclaim all the priceless footage that you haven't been able to see in years. Uh, the service couldn't be simpler. You, you use their kit to safely send the moments that you want preserved. Their team will create a digital archive by hand. Then you'll receive your new copy stored on the cloud, a thumb drive, a DVD, whatever you want. Uh, and with their tracking system, you can follow every step of the process so you always know your, that your originals are being taken care of. Very, very easy for you. I've done this myself. And that's the one thing I was impressed with, was how easy it was. I just put everything in the box, said that they sent it back, and um, I could not be happier. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Walsh to join more than a million other families who've used Legacy Box for just a fraction of the regular price. Take advantage of 50% off today and send in your Legacy Box whenever you're ready. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Walsh and save 50% while supplies last. Well, as we know, one of the very first men canonized by the high priests of the Church of BLM was Michael Brown, described in media reports as a gentle giant, hailed as a promising young man, a valuable member of the community. Brown died while assaulting a police officer and trying to take his gun. George Floyd, whose death at the hands of police is being adjudicated as we speak, died while resisting arrest and high on lethal doses of fentanyl. His rap sheet included the home invasion armed robbery of a woman. Floyd held the woman at gunpoint and robbed her. One of the other men in his crew pistol whipped uh, the woman at some point during the robbery. Jacob Blake, another canonized saint for BLM, though he's still alive. A man who received uh, ceremonial visits from Joe Biden and other Democratic dignitaries had, a few months before being shot by police, allegedly broke into a woman's house and raped her in her bedroom before stealing her debit card and her vehicle. This crime was reported on, on the morning it allegedly happened when the woman called 911 distraught and in tears. On the day of the shooting, Blake had returned to the home of his alleged victim and was attempting to take her car keys and her car. He fought the police when they arrived, pulled a knife, and then wound up getting shot. And then Dante Wright, the latest martyr that BLM has chosen. And I do mean chosen. As we've covered on this show, many black men die every week in this country, most of them ignored by BLM and the media. Many people are killed in altercations with police every year. Not nearly as many as you may be led to believe by the media, but still many. And most of them are also ignored by BLM and the media. Only certain official victims are selected. Dante Wright is one. We know about the circumstances surrounding his death. He was pulled over for a minor traffic violation initially. The police discovered that he had an open warrant. They tried to arrest him. He resisted, pushed them away, climbed back into his vehicle, and was shot by a female officer who says that she meant to use her taser and not her gun. We, we knew all that. And now an extra piece of the puzzle has been revealed. The Daily Mail um, has the report. So let's, I'm going to read now from the Daily Mail. And I want to read as, as, as much of this report as I can because it's all important information. Um, this is what they say. Dante Wright choked a woman and threatened to shoot her if she did not hand over $820 she had stuffed in her bra. Court papers obtained by DailyMail.com allege. That is the case that led to a warrant for his arrest at the time that he was shot and killed by police officer Kimberly Potter in Minnesota on Sunday, leading to days of unrest. An online speculation that he didn't know there was a warrant for his arrest is false, DailyMail.com has learned. A letter returned to the court for having a wrong address was giving notice of a court date in August and had nothing to do with the warrant. Wright was allegedly pulled over for having expired license plate tags, though he called his mother and told her it was for having an air freshener hanging on his rearview mirror. While checking his detail, Potter details Potter and uh, the other officers learned of the warrant. 
Okay, then the article goes into greater detail about the crime that led to his warrant being issued. Here are those details. It says, Charging papers say that he and a second man, Emma J. Driver, went to a home shared by two women in Oseo, Minnesota, to party, quote-unquote, in December 2019. At the time, Wright was 19 and Driver was 18. The women, the women asked them to leave around 2.30 a.m. on December 1st, but they said they didn't have a ride, and the women, who are not identified in the court documents, allowed them to sleep on the floor. In the morning, one of the women went to the bank to get her $820 rent money, which she gave to the other woman and then left for work. As Wright, Driver, and the second woman were leaving, Wright allegedly try, tried to hold up the woman. The three of them were walking to the door to exit the apartment, and Defendant Wright turned around and blocked the door, preventing the victim from leaving, according to the report written by Oseo police officer Shane Mickelson. Defendant Wright then pulled a black handgun with silver trim out from either his right waistband or his right coat pocket and pointed it at the victim and demanded the rent money, continued Mickelson. The victim said, are you serious? Defendant Wright replied, give me the effing money. I know you have it. When the woman again asked him if he was serious, Wright is said to have replied, I'm not playing around. Mickelson report, Mickelson's report said, quote, The $820 cash was tucked in the victim's bra, and defendant Wright placed his hand around the victim's neck and choked her while trying to pull the cash from under her bra. Hmm. So now we've got sexual assault that we could also add to the, to the list of, of what's happening here. The victim was able to get loose from defendant Wright and started to kneel down and scream. After more yelling, Wright allegedly told the woman that he was going to shoot her unless he got the money. He allegedly said, quote, give me the money and we'll leave. Give me the money and we'll go. Nicholson added, defendant Wright then tried to choke victim a second time and tried to take her money. Defendant driver was telling her to give defendant Wright the money. Um, now it goes on to explain. So, so just quickly to review there, um, he stayed at, he was allowed to stay at this woman's house. And, uh, and then he knew the next day they were going to get rent money to pay their rent. And his decision was to pull a gun and rob them and to choke her in the process. And then also reaching his hand into her bra, which is sexual assault on top of it. Even if he wasn't charged with that, that's what that is. So we've got choking a woman, sexually assaulting her, and robbing her at gunpoint to take her rent, her rent money. That's Dante Wright. Upstanding citizen. Now, it goes on to explain that the victim reported the crime to police, easily identified Wright, obviously, as the culprit, and then he was arrested. And then this, quote, Wright's bail was originally, originally set at $100,000 with orders that he should not contact the victim or any witness, refrain from drugs and alcohol, and not have any weapons. A bond, a bond bailsman paid $40,000 for his release. But his bail was revoked in July last year due to his failure to not possess a firearm or ammunition and not keeping in touch with the probation officer, court papers show. At that time, a judge issued a warrant for his arrest that was still outstanding on the day that he died. Okay. So the warrant for Wright's arrest was not simply because he had a handgun without a permit. It certainly wasn't because of an air freshener, which was the insane lie promulgated on Twitter. It was because he robbed a woman at gunpoint and choked her. Slight difference, you might say. Originally, we were told air freshener. Turns out, no, he robbed a woman at gunpoint and choked her. That's why he was arrested. This means that of the three most recent and most prominent BLM martyrs, the three men BLM insists we collectively wail and mourn and honor and celebrate, and whose faces we must paint in murals and names we must remember and repeat, all three of them, all three, committed unthinkably brutal and violent attacks against women. All three were tormentors and victimizers of women. These are not men accused of Me Too-style harassment, but of, of some of the cruelest and most vicious abuse a person can possibly inflict on another person. Now the question, does it matter? Specifically for Dante Wright, does it matter that he allegedly committed this heinous act? Well, that is such a stupid question that I almost don't want to answer it, but I will. Yes, it matters. And it matters a lot, and for a lot of reasons. But let's focus on three. First, simply, it's true. I mean, this is the truth. The truth matters. This is what happened. We may be screamed at. We may have all kinds of labels thrown at us for speaking the truth. 
But the truth remains the truth. The truth is that Dante Wright was wanted by the police for robbing a woman at gunpoint and choking her and uh, also sexually assaulting her. That is a truth that in several ways contradicts BLM's narrative. It's a truth they don't want us to know or to speak. And that's why it should be known and should be spoken. The truth matters. When you say any truth and people start screaming at you and telling you to shut up, what that tells you is keep saying it and say it louder. There is never a good reason for people to try to shut down what is true or to conceal what is true. We could leave it at that, but we won't. Second point, as established, a lot of people die every day in this country, often unjustly, usually at the hands of another civilian, but sometimes at the hands of agents of the state. Of all of that death, all of that misery, all of that suffering, all of that loss, these men in particular, these men especially, are chosen by the cultural powers that be, and we are told that we should honor and mourn them more than we honor and mourn the average murder victim. Of which, again, there are thousands. They are the ones who get the politicians weeping beside their golden caskets. They are the ones with the murals and the streets streets named after them. Our reaction to their deaths goes way beyond, way, way beyond simply calling for accountability. This is not just that. If that's all that was happening, then the personal brutality and evil committed by these people wouldn't be as relevant. But that's not all that's happening, not even close. They receive treatment that is very close to worship. Sometimes in Floyd's case, not close to worship, but but actual literal worship. And because of that, it becomes all the more necessary to speak the truth about who these people were, what they did, the harm they caused, and to ask whether they, of all people, should be the ones with halos placed around their heads. Now, um, third point, finally. This crime by Dante Wright, his armed robbery of a woman, is what led directly to his arrest, which is what led to his death. It's a part of the story inextricably. If Dante Wright had not robbed a woman at gunpoint, he would be alive today. That is indisputable. And and it brings us to this fact. And and here is the most forbidden truth of all, the thing that we simply are not allowed to say, but I will say it. And the truth is this. Going all the way back to Michael Brown and back up again to Dante Wright, so often the BLM martyrs are violent men, bad men, who had little regard for human life and who ultimately met the fate that so often befalls men of that sort. Does this mean that they deserve to die? No, that's not the point. Okay, The point is simply that when you live that kind of lifestyle, you probably will die sooner than later, if not at the hands of police, then at the hands of another criminal on the street. Okay, If you're the kind of person who would even conceive of pulling a gun out and robbing a woman at gunpoint while she's trying to get her rent money, then you are the kind of person who will very likely die before you get old and gray. If we don't want people like Dante Wright to die, then we should tell them not to live like he lived. In the words of the gospel, live by the sword, die by the sword. That's a message that stood the test of time. And it certainly applies here. Now let's get to our five headlines. Now we check in with our sponsors, Allform. I consider myself to be something of a sofa connoisseur. I'm I'm actually very picky about sofas. My wife knows this uh, has been a source of frustration for her. I can't, you know, I I just, I need what, I'm like the princess in the pea or something when it comes to sofas. I have a very specific needs that I have. uh, And that's why I'm so excited about Allform. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you've probably heard me talk about my Helix mattress, which uh, solved all of my sleeping problems. But then you have the problem of what about the rest of the day when you're sitting in your couch? You know, it's either sleeping or sitting on the couch for me. Helix has left the bedroom and started making sofas. They just launched a new company called Allform and they're already making the best sofas 
we've ever seen or sat on. So what makes an all-form sofa really cool? For starters, it's the easiest way you can customize a sofa by using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional sofas. Uh, you can pick your fabric, the sofa color, everything you want. They've got armchairs, love seats, all the way up to an eight-seat section. Also, there's something for everyone. All-form sofas are also delivered directly to your home with fast, free shipping. Uh, so what are you getting? It's, it's, it's very convenient, it's fast, it's affordable, and you're just getting a, a sofa that is incredibly comfortable. And that's the most important thing to me. Looks great. That's my wife's most important thing with a sofa. For me, I need it to be comfortable, and we get all-form sofa, and we get all that together. So. Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash Walsh. To find your perfect sofa, go check out allform.com slash Walsh. So the mayor of Brooklyn Center has a brilliant idea about police reform. A lot of, a lot of brilliant ideas about police reform are, are going around, especially on the left right now. Before we get to the mayor, actually, Rashida Tlaib, um, one, one member of the squad, said a couple days ago, uh, announced that we should abolish police and abolish incarceration. Okay, so it's not an exaggeration to say that, that, that she wants to free every prisoner in jail right now, in prison. She wants to, there's no incarceration, let them all out of jail, nobody goes to jail. So the child molesters and child rapists, uh, they get to get out of jail. That's what Rashida Tlaib wants to free every child rapist from prison. That is an accurate statement. Um, now, I mean, it is it is sort of interesting in, in her case that she says she wants to abolish incarceration, abolish the police. Um, did, did, I, I'll go back and check. Does anyone remember Rashida Tlaib uh, speaking out against the incarceration of the protesters on January 6th at Capitol Hill? What does she have to say about that? Because they're being hunted down and thrown in prison, sometimes getting lengthy prison sentences uh, or, or you know, charges that carry lengthy prison sentences put on their head. And has Rashida Tlaib, she wants to abolish incarceration. Should she, should she be speaking out against that? No, I don't think so. Because, of course, when she says abolish incarceration, we know that, that she means that in a very selective way. Like she wants to abolish incarceration for certain people. It's not even just it's not that she wants to abolish incarceration for certain crimes. No, it's for certain people shouldn't go to jail no matter what they do. That's her view. The mayor of uh, Brooklyn Center has a view that is nearly as crazy. And let's listen to what he has to say. Uh, and uh, make sure that you know we sit down and, and, and go through it and, and see how we can implement. Uh, I, I don't believe that officers need to necessarily uh, have weapons, uh, you know, uh, every time they, they're, they're making a, a traffic stop uh, or, or engaged in uh, situations that don't necessarily call for, uh, for weapons. We know that there are other, many other jurisdictions or even around the world where uh, that is not, you know, necessarily the case. It's not needed. You know, I don't believe that construction workers necessarily need hard hats. I, you know, I don't get it. I, th I think they look stupid in the hard hats. It's silly. But you guys, I mean, you're on a, a construction site. How often does something fall on your head, right? It doesn't happen all that often. You don't need a hard hat all the time. I mean, I'm not on the construction site. And I need the people on the construction site to build stuff so that I can, you know, uh, take advantage of the things they build. But... I'm going to sit off on my couch and uh, drink a beer and start start giving my opinion about the safety measures taken by construction workers. Look at them and their stupid hard hats. <laughs> it's the exact same thing, kind of thing here. Now he's he's standing off on the sideline and saying, "Yeah, oh, they don't need guns. Eh, what do they need that for?" Yeah, a tra any any cop knows that a traffic stop can turn fatal for the officer in a split second. And what this, this happens a lot. You know, you can go online and find video. You're not going to find a lot of news articles about this kind of thing because the media doesn't report on that. But if you, if you go and look, you can find, and you want to see it, you can find video, uh, dash cam footage and so forth. Officers in a normal traffic stop, you know, enforcing a, a traffic regulation. Next thing you know, they're getting shot at. 
Now, the, the mayor of Brooklyn Center, his view is that if a, if you start if a cop is getting shot at during a traffic stop, well, you just have to die. That's all. Just die. I mean, I guess you could surrender, go down to your knees, put your hands up, apologize. You could try to make a run back to your car and hide. But, you know, maybe you'll just die. You know, he doesn't care if police die. He really doesn't. Democrats in general don't. They, they, it makes no difference to them. They do not care. The, the, the lives of police officers mean nothing to them. In fact, in many cases, they're happy when, when cops die. Which is why, you know, you remember I said a couple months ago with Officer Brian Sicknick at the Capitol, who, by the way, we still have not been told what exactly, you know, how Officer Sicknick died. We were told by the media immediately that he was killed by a protester at the Capitol. But somehow, even though he was murdered and the media knew that right away, nobody's been charged with murdering him. We do know that that the other deaths, remember we were told, now I'm getting sidetracked a little bit, but we, we were told um, by the media that the riot on Capitol Hill was a deadly riot and five people died. Well, the medical examiner in D.C. last week finally came out and admitted that three of the deaths were medical emergencies. In fact, well, two were, you know, heart conditions, medical emergencies, people with medical conditions uh, tragically died. Another person died of a drug overdose. So, okay, so those were counted in the tally for five. That's how they got to the deadly riot. Then another person, Ashley Babbitt, was a homicide victim. She was killed by a Capitol Police officer. And then we have Brian Sicknick. We're not being told anything about him. The only confirmed homicide in the, quote, deadly riot was the homicide that a, that a protester was a victim of. But in any case, Brian Sicknick, you know, um, however he died, it's a terrible, tragic thing. And the Democrats and the media are mourning Officer Sicknick, calling for flags to be at half-staff, talking about the great service that he provided for the community, talking about how they feel for his family and his wife and his children. Uh, and of course, yes, that it is a terrible tragedy, and the flag should be flown at half-mast, and we do feel terrible for his family. The difference is, though, that the Democrats saying that they don't really mean it. I don't believe, and I didn't believe then for a second that they actually cared about Brian Sicknick's death. Because he's the only cop that these Democrats, I was running through a number of names I could, but I just decided to go with Democrats. He's the only cop that they pretended to care about. Many cops have died over the last five years. Can you think of any other police officer that the majority of Democrats, you know, were publicly mourning out of all the, the police officers who have died? So on, um, on the rare occasion when mourning a police officer's death is politically expedient and convenient for the Democrats, that's when they pretend to care. But in every other case, they couldn't give a less of a damn. Um, all right. Speaking of, uh, of not caring if police officers die or, or if people die in general, Chelsea Handler tweeted this. She says, why would any person of color ever comply with a police officer when there's a 50-50 shot of getting accidentally shot? Accidentally in quote. Quotes. 50-50. And this tweet, a bunch of retweets, people liking it, commenting, oh, this is real. Yep. Amen to that. Okay, this is uh, Chelsea Handler trying to get people killed. Specifically trying to get young black men killed. That's what she's doing. You might as well not comply because there's a 50-50 chance that you'll... 50-50? Where, where are you getting that statistic from? 50% chance. Well, she's pulling it from her fevered imagination. It's not based in reality whatsoever. It also doesn't even make sense. I mean, even if I were to put aside the insane 50% statistic that she's made up, don't... She's, she's claiming that you're likely to get shot if you comply, so you may as well not. What? In, in almost every case of a person, doesn't matter what their race is, getting shot by the cops, it's when they're not complying. Dante Wright was getting arrested 
and was not in any physical danger whatsoever. They were cuffing him. They weren't even yelling at him or anything. They were, they were cuffing him. They're going to bring him to the police car. That was all fine. It's when he started resisting arrest. That is how he ended up getting shot. So you might as well not comply because you're going to get shot anyway. Really, I mean, of the from the last 10 years, how many cases can you provide? How many examples can you provide of somebody who was not resisting arrest and was complying and yet got shot and killed by the cops anyway? I know you can point to a few examples. And in nearly all of those small, in that small, small sliver, that small, small minority of cases, in almost all of them, the police officer involved uh, goes to jail. I mean, um, there was the Dallas police officer, Botham Jean, in, uh, I think it was in Dallas. He was in, he was in his own apartment when an off-duty police officer walked in and shot him. She thought it was her own, her own apartment, she says. Terrible tragedy. Horrible, horrible thing. She went to prison. She's going to prison for 10 years for that. In, in nearly every case, uh, when someone gets shot by the cops, it's because they're not complying. Not because they are. Chelsea Handler, she may be a total moron, but she she knows that. And she also knows that 50-50 is, is something that she made up. But she doesn't, you know, it's it is it works for her ideologically when young black men get killed by the police. So she, she's she's fine with it continuing to happen. BLM activist Kim Brown, I wanted to play this clip for you as well. Um, she's on a, I think this is her own show, which, yeah, okay, this is called Burn It. The name of her podcast or show or YouTube show, whatever it is, is called Burn It Down. So you kind of get an idea of where she's coming from. And uh, here's what she had to say, making an eloquent case in favor of rioting and looting. Let's listen to that. I support all that. I support them looting the the Dollar Tree. I support the looting of uh, what other did they loot? Uh, like the like the advanced auto parts. Um, I remember last year they t- looted Target. I support all that. Loot all that. Do you know why? Because black people and marginalized and oppressed people could loot every store in this whole country for two hundred years. It would not even come close to the debt that America owes us. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that that is full-throated defense of rioting and looting. We hear, we hear that all the time from BLM activists. This is not shocking at all. It's not just that they're doing it, but they support it in principle and will explicitly defend it and will do so publicly without apology. And yet we're still told that the BLM movement is mostly peaceful, a peaceful movement. The fact that they're both looting and rioting and defending it and encouraging it and saying, do it more. Uh, yeah, you're not supposed to hear that. D- 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 just ignore that part. Of course, they, what she just what she said there uh, is wrong on so many levels. And you, we, we, we could spend all day uh, dissecting it and, and, and tearing it apart. But let's start with one really basic thing here. That she claims that she is owed a debt from America. She's wrong about that. Okay, we, America doesn't owe, owe you anything, whatever your race is. You're not, you're not owed anything simply for existing. Okay, we're not, we're not in debt to you. Society is not in debt to you. And again, I don't care what your race is. Society is not in debt to you. And if, but if you live like that, with that kind of mentality, then this is what you end up with. And if enough people live like that with that mentality, you end up with rioting and looting. But even if America did, in in some mysterious way, uh, collectively owe you a debt, why are you taking taking it out on the Dollar Tree or AutoZone? How do they owe it to you? The people who work there, many of them minorities, that... So you're, you're taking at this, this debt that you think really white America owes you, you're taking it out on your own community. The Dollar Tree in Minneapolis, that's not white America that you're, that you're tearing down. It's not capitalism that you're tearing down. It is your own community that you're victimizing. People in your community work there. People in your community depend on that place. They go and they shop there. 
you, you, you tore it apart and burned it down. So even on your own logic, it doesn't make any sense. But there really is no logic at all. So at the end of the day, it's simply destruction for destruction's case. And, um, and for looters, you know, the, the motivation for most looters of, 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 all, of all stripes is simply, uh, I could get free stuff and I want free stuff. It doesn't, doesn't go much, doesn't get much deeper than that, I think, for the average uh, looter. All right, uh, let's move on to this. From the Daily Wire, it says, as female athletes around the country fight to keep biological men from competing with them, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, NCAA, has announced its unequivocal support for transgender student athletes. In a statement released on Monday, the NCAA said it unequivocally supports the transgender community and expressed no misgivings about the real prospect of biological men uh, out-competing women in their given sport. It says, the NCAA Board of Governors firmly and unequivocally supports the opportunity for transgender student-athletes to compete in college sports. This commitment is grounded in our values of inclusion and fair competition. Ugh. Fair comp- This is their values of fair competition. The fact that they value fair competition is why they're okay with biological men competing against women. Because of fair competition. The NCAA continued... Um, the NCAA has a long-standing policy that provides a more inclusive path for transgender participation in college sports. Our approach, which requires testosterone suppression treatment for transgender women to compete in women's sports, embraces the evolving science on this issue and is anchored in participation policies of both the International Olympic Committee and the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Inclusion and fairness can coexist for all student-athletes, including transgender athletes, at all levels of sports. And it goes on for there with, from there. Um, all of it just as inco- incoherent as what I what I just read to you. Uh, first of all, a- as always, this is being framed as, oh, we have to make sure that transgender people can compete in sports. Well, no, there was never a point where they couldn't compete. No one is saying that they can't compete. That is not a position that anyone holds. At least I've never heard it. Have you? I've never heard anyone, certainly anyone in any position of power or authority, stand up and say that transgender people should not be allowed to compete in sports, period. No one's saying that. All we're saying is that everyone, doesn't matter how you identify, everyone can compete against their own biological sex. That is inclusion and that's equality. Same policy for everyone. Everyone is welcome. Same policy for everyone, same rules for everyone, inclusion, fairness, equality, all of that. When you start putting men in, against women in women's sports, that is not you embracing equality, fairness, and inclusion, but that is you getting rid of equality, fairness, and inclusion. All right, uh, what else do we have here? This is from the New York Post. It says, New York State Senator Julia Salazar... A Democrat from Brooklyn says an older male colleague once told her that she looked like a Bond girl while in the legislative chamber. Salazar, uh, 30, recalled the encounter in a New York Times article published Monday that detailed Albany's toxic environment for women. She told the newspaper, it seemed odd for my male colleague to say that. Salazar, who joined the the legislature in 2019, said the Republican senator randomly made the comment as they sat near each other in the chamber. She asked that the senator who has since retired not be identified. Um, She also remembered another incident in which a fellow legislator staffer made inappropriate comments to her at a 2019 fundraiser. He said, quote, you should be on a calendar. And she said she was so embarrassed that she left. Well, look, I think we should be sympathetic um, to the men who said these comments to Julia Salazar because they're already blind. And let's not add insult to injury for them. That was mean. That's a joke. I don't even know what Julia Salazar looks like. I'm sure she's a good looking woman. I have no idea. I, I just, I can't see, I, I, I can't bring myself to see how a compliment could be embarrassing and traumatizing that you would even remember it two years later and you're, and you're reporting it to the newspaper uh, and, and how it counts as harassment. I'm trying to think back in my own life. I don't think I've ever received a compliment Yeah, I don't think I've ever received a compliment that traumatized me. I don't think I've ever received a compliment that upset me. I I don't know if I've ever received a compliment. I thought to myself, you know, I really wish that person hadn't complimented me like that. 
Now, granted, I don't receive a lot of compliments, so, you know, I don't know. Maybe if you're so privileged that you get complimented all the time, after a while, you get sick of it. I'm not sure. Finally, this is the AP Style Guide. They uh, they had this. They tweeted this on um, Tuesday. They said, don't use the term mistress for a woman who is in a long-term sexual relationship with and is financially supported by a man who is married to someone else. Instead, use an alternative like companion, friend, or lover on first reference and provide additional details later. Companion or friend. Yeah, don't use, um, don't use mistress. I think the preferred term is home-wrecking hussy, I believe. Which even there, you know, I, I, I only use that because it's an alliteration and it's fun. Alliterations are fun. I, this is maybe my most feminist, this is the most feminist opinion you'll ever hear me give. I actually don't like, hussy is fine for, for anyone involved in an affair. Um, and mistress is fine too. And um, really people that are involved in affairs, are, there's like no insult that is beneath them. But I don't, I don't love the term homewrecker for the woman in that scenario, the mistress for the married man. Because she's not really the one. It's the guy is the one wrecking his own home. He's the one who made the undying commitment to his, to his wife uh, and to his family. And, 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 and he is now violating that and choosing to destroy his own home and his own, and, you know, in his marriage, his children's lives. I mean, he's, he's potentially putting his children's childhood and everything on the line for the sake of this sexual tryst. So I will say, I'm, you know, I think it's unfair to put homewrecker on the woman there. It should really go to the man. Maybe that's the way to break this up. The woman is, is the mistress. The man is the homewrecker. There we go. Compromise. You see? It is possible. All right, let's move on to reading the YouTube comments. It's, uh, this is from John. says, I was a roofer for 20 years, and I never encountered one that was a female. I've seen a few ladies that clean the ground around the job site, though. Yeah, we were talking about uh, re- the issue of representation and how you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's funny how we're told there needs to be more minority and female representation in jobs, like, like in places like Hollywood, okay, and those kinds of really, um, it, it, those kinds of jobs that society tends to, to, to value even incorrectly or disproportionately. But you never hear anyone complain that there are no female roofers or very few. Or garbage collectors. I actually looked this up after the show because I was curious. And not surprisingly, 90% of garbage collectors are men. And uh, close to 70% are white. So this is a white male occupation. The people that are cleaning your garbage are, by and large, white males. Odd that no, no one ever complains about that. No one ever talks about minority and female representation among garbage collectors. I wonder why that is. Um, day... Uh, Devil of Mine, username, says, come on now, Matt, you don't like animals, that's fine, but when you killed the fish, you had an opportunity to teach your daughter about a few things. Most importantly, I think, is how to respect nature. If you killed it, you clean it, you take it home, and you eat it. This way, the death isn't in vain. It was a possible learning moment, but your actions led to either her not respecting animal life or the opposite and go full vegan. Yeah, my my daughter announced that she was going vegetarian, and then, you know, last week, and it ends up that she's actually a meat-eating vegetarian, which is fine. That's the only kind of vegetarianism that I can respect. I'm tracing that back and trying to figure out how did she become a burgeoning animal rights activist. And uh, as I said, in the summer, we were, we were going fishing, and she, she caught a, a bluegill, like a small sunfish, and uh, accidentally killed it when she was taking the, taking the hook out of the mouth, tossed it back in, it bubbled to the surface and was floating there. And she was traumatized by it. Why didn't we... Um, well, have you ever, a bluegill is, it's just not worth the effort. There's, there's like no meat on those bones at all. And actually, so here's, I didn't even tell the full story. Um, she throws the fish in, bubbles to the surface, it's floating there. And she says, daddy, why, why is the fish doing that? And at first I did lie. And I said, oh, he's taking a nap, resting. And then the, and then the blood started coming out of its mouth. That's a dead giveaway. And she said, why is it bleeding? And I said, okay, yeah, it's dead. You, you probably killed it. It's okay though. She runs off. And is really, really upset. And I follow her. Well, I didn't follow her right away, but I was, because I, I had just gotten a bite. I was fishing in some weeds and I wanted to make sure that I, I wanted to try to catch the fish before. But I did, I did after a few minutes follow her to console her. And um, I went up and I found her. She was really upset. And I, I just, I kept digging the hole deeper. I was trying to find the right thing to tell her. So the first thing I said to her was, 
Uh, listen, you know, it, yeah, the fish died, but so another fish will come or maybe a turtle or a bird will come and eat that fish. And so we're providing a meal for the wildlife in, in the lake. And that made her 10 times more upset because apparently she had in her mind that, um, that, the, that the, the, the fish's family would come and like give it a fish burial. That's what she, that's what she thought. That she was consoling herself with that thought. And I ruined that. So it was one thing after another. I was giving her a lot of very good zoological information in my process of trying to console her, and uh, it wasn't working. And uh, eventually she did get past it, though, but apparently didn't get fully past it. And uh, now she's a a pseudo-vegetarian. So now's my time to tell you again about constitutioncoach.com. And I'll start off by reminding you that uh, they've got another, this is the most important thing. They've got a class on, on April 25th filling up very fast. I've only got a few spots left. So if you want to be a part of this experience, you got to go to constitutioncoach.com. My friends over at constitutioncoach.com have uh, many wonderful programs for equipping citizens to defend liberty by studying and living out the Constitution. Um, And uh, what you're getting is you're getting the intellectual ammunition with the Constitution classes. You're also getting physical training at the premier firearms training facility in the nation. More and more people are becoming gun owners, which is fantastic, exercising their Second Amendment rights. More and more people are carrying guns. Uh, Another fantastic thing. So you're equipped to defend yourself and defend your family. But if you're going to do that, and this is the realization that I had and why, and this is why I was so excited to be a part of this training for constitutioncoach.com. But I realized if I'm going to do that, I need to be well-trained, you know, uh, for my own sake, for my family's sake, it's, it's my responsibility. And also it's just, a, it's a lot of fun too, being there. You get the fellowship with like-minded people. Um, so it's just a great all-around package. Don't just get a gun, learn how to carry with confidence and get the training that you need to defend your family. Go to constitutioncoach.com. Rick and the Constitution Coach team have another class on April 25th. It's filling up fast, so you got to go now, constitutioncoach.com. Now, it's already episode five um, of the Candace Owens Show. We can't get enough of Candace Owens. If you haven't checked it out yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. The Fearless Thought Leader hosts a lively series of guests each week, plus the uh, they got interviews and the cancel corner, all kinds of great stuff. This week, she'll be hosting comedian and podcaster Adam Carolla. So you got to tune in because you don't want to miss this conversation. If you need some Candace Owens in your podcast feed, look no further. Head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and subscribe today. And be sure to leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, I grew up as a marginalized and persecuted minority in my own home, as I was the middle child with four sisters, two older, two younger. I do have a brother too, but he's the youngest of the bunch, considerably younger than me. What this meant is that for much of my early childhood, I was the lone male sibling against the world. I actually tried to explain to my parents on several occasions that I was a marginalized and persecuted minority, but they had trouble hearing me above their own laughter when I was trying to explain that. One of the many great struggles um, of this suppressed status for me was that my sisters, especially the older two, used to make up secret languages so that they could communicate around me without me knowing what they were saying. Now, it didn't dawn on me at the time, and I only realized later in life, that they were probably speaking pure gibberish that neither of them understood, and this was all an act you know, to torment their poor younger brother. It seems unlikely that they actually devised a grammatically consistent and intelligible language in their spare time, you know? I mean, they were, they were, they were gifted, but uh, I don't think they were that gifted. In any case, this is all, I guess, a long way of saying that I have been annoyed and frustrated by made-up, fake, gibberish, pseudo-language since a very young age. You could even say traumatized by it. And somehow I haven't escaped it even as an adult as this recent article in the New York Times attests. The article, which we can assume is not meant to be satire, has the headline, quote, a guide to neo-pronouns. And the subhead asks the question, are you a person, place, or thing? We have good news. Now you have to keep reading to find out whether you are indeed a person or perhaps a sea sponge or a skyscraper, could be anything. Reading on, it says, Non-binary pronouns, often the singular they and them, have become widespread. A 2019 research study found already that one in five Americans knew someone who uses non-binary pronouns. And then there are neo-pronouns. A neo-pronoun can be a word uh, created to serve as a pronoun without expressing gender, like zay and zer. A neo-pronoun can also be a so-called noun-self-pronoun, in which a pre-existing word is drafted into use as a pronoun. Noun self-pronouns can refer to animals, so your pronouns can be bun slash bun self and kitten slash kitten self. Others refer to fantasy characters, vamp, vamp self, prin slash ses slash princess self, 
and fey, fair, fey self, or even just common slang, like in it, in its, in itself. Now, uh, we're informed that this is all very serious. And if you don't show proper respect for this insanely stupid gobbledygook, you will cause great pain and suffering to people or to places and things, as the case may be. It continues, quote, a popular Twitch streamer who goes by Andy VMG recently apologized after jokingly tweeting that her pronouns were bad slash AF, which led many neo-pronoun neo users to accuse her of transphobic invalidation of their identities. Andy VMG did not respond to a request for comment for this article, but wrote on Twitter, quote, it wasn't meant to mock people who use neo-pronouns. However, I have since educated myself on the matter and spoken to people who use neo-pronouns, and I see why what I said was hurtful. Of course, you know, there's no reason that her pronouns can't be bad slash AF. That's no more ridiculous or illegitimate than kitty slash kitty self or bun slash bun self. I mean, by the way, does the latter mean that someone is actually identifying as a hot dog bun? I, you know, I don't know. And it gets even more deranged. Okay, for the record, here are just some of the additional neo-pronouns that the article lists. And I'm choosing these at random. There are like dozens and dozens. But for, So let, let's go through a few. First, we have all the basic non-binary pronouns. You know, they, zem, zer, zerself, ve, viz, ver, verself. A bunch of other made-up terms, terms that sound like something that maybe Dr. Seuss might have invented if he was high on crack. The sad thing is that these pronouns are now basically old-fashioned and traditional. These are your grandmother's pronouns, or will be somebody's grandmother's pronouns in our not-too-distant dystopian future. Then there are the, the, the real innovations. You have the animal-themed pronouns. Ba, ba's, ba's self, and woof, woof's, woof self, among others. Then cat-themed pronouns for the crazy cat lady in your life. Meow slash muse slash meow self. Also, there's weather-themed pronouns. If anyone happens to identify as a cloud, they can be cloud slash cloud self. Or if they're feeling a bit warm, they could be sun slash sun self. There's also robot-themed pronouns if they're a robot. Sai slash sibe slash sibe self. There's horror-themed pronouns. Han slash haunts slash haunt self. And uh, it goes on and on. This, this is, again, all of this, very real, okay? Well, not real per se. The pronouns don't reflect any actual physical reality, of course. They certainly don't reflect the proper rules of grammar. But it's real in the sense that we are all supposed to actually take this seriously. The article explains, quote, Neo-pronoun users may publish strict boundaries and preferences around behaviors, enthusiasms, and hatreds. Many of them have defined lists of behaviors they find unacceptable around privacy or cruelty. And then they go on to, uh, to list those, those uh, behaviors, sometimes referred to as DNI lists, short for do not interact, which they often outline in posts on Card, a service that makes single-page websites. Now, we're expected to follow these rules, lest we be guilty of invalidating somebody's identity. The term invalidating identity comes up more than once in the article. It's a major concern among all proponents of left-wing gender theory. They are at once, we are told, totally secure and happy in their identities. But also, if you use the wrong word in their presence, it may invalidate their identity and send them into an existential crisis. So, so while they are so confident and happy in their identity, they are also utterly dependent on you, a stranger, to legitimize that identity. Now, that seems like it doesn't make sense. That because, that's because it doesn't. None of this does. It is all one big, out-of-control, incoherent tornado of crazy. Until you realize what's really going on here. This is narcissism. Now, it's not just narcissism, of course. A whole cocktail of mental illness has contributed to the proliferation of all these fake pronouns and all of this made-up language. But at, at bottom, there is narcissism. These are people who believe two things. One, that their inner self, their inner identity is so complex, so interesting, so fascinating so mysterious and poetic that they need to invent new words to describe it. Billions of people through the history of the world have made do just fine with he and she, but their own inner life is so deep and rich and ineffable that they need to reinvent the English language just to do it justice. Everyone else can be a myself, but I have to be a they self. What's the difference between a myself and a they self? Well, there is no difference at all whatsoever, except my own assumption that whatever I feel 
must be totally different in kind from what everyone else has felt. Of course, when someone says something like, I don't feel like a him, I feel like a they, that statement cannot mean anything. How do they know what a him is supposed to feel like? Whatever they're feeling, how do they know that that's not a him feeling? They can only feel what they feel. They have nothing to compare it to. No way to make these judgments. They only have their assumption that they are people of greater depth and complexity than the average person. Now, needless needless to say, this is all beside the point. However you feel, even if it is different, it has no bearing on language. Pronouns are not supposed to describe your feelings. Pronouns are not a reflection of your inner perception of yourself. They're a reflection of physical reality. They don't work any other way. But the narcissist doesn't understand that. And that brings us to point two. You know, we have long since moved beyond the days where our job was to simply let people live their own lives and let them do what they want in their own bedrooms and, uh, you know, tolerate their lifestyles and refrain from interfering. That, those days are gone. Those days have come to an end. And uh, we're always going to come to an end. Because now we're admonished not simply to tolerate alternate lifestyles, but to actively, at all times, in all ways, validate those lifestyles, prop them up, support them. Indeed, the, the construction and maintenance of someone else's identity is partially your responsibility. If someone says that they are a Zay self or a cat self or whatever, it's your duty. And they'll be quick to remind you of this, to actively reinforce their perception of themselves. Their self-perception is now a group project, and you are part of the group, whether you like it or not. Your own identity, your own priorities, your own preferences, values, beliefs, ideas, feelings uh, are totally irrelevant. This is all about them, or Zen, or Wem, or Phlegm, the whole gang. It's all about narcissism. Narcissism dressed up in a million costumes and going by a million different pronouns, but still there underneath, it's the same old thing. And that is why neo-pronouns are certainly, with a vengeance, canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Democrats pursue new police standards while promoting myths about how policing actually works. The Chauvin trial continues, and the Biden administration hits the pause button on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm. 